You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Well, uh, this morning as we kind of look at Judges chapter 2, we're going to see that there are some skills, if you will, that are needed in the Christian life. Maybe, maybe habits, maybe, maybe you see them as disciplines kind of thing. I don't know if they're so much just exactly a skill, but if you didn't grow up in a home that really practiced their faith spiritually, practiced, you know, maybe if church was just something you did on Sundays but wasn't really something lived out during the week, and, uh, and, you, and you're, you've you know, trusted Christ as an adult or kind of come back later on, there's probably some relearning, some new things in there that, that you need to do. And, and sometimes whenever we're learning new things, we're clumsy at it, right? We're not as good. I remember when uh, my parents were teaching me how to drive. They, uh, they had two vehicles and they were both standard shift, okay? And, uh, and why in the world you would make a kid learn on a, on a manual transmission just to drive? I mean, you're trying to not run over the neighbor's dog and hit the kid, let alone try to get this car moving. And, and uh, where we lived, we had a driveway right beside our house. And when you pull into the driveway, the driveway kind of pitched down the hill, okay? So, you know, think Monday morning, on the way to school, my dad on his way to work wearing a white uniform, and this was before modern day adult sippy cups were invented. We call them travel mugs, but they're really glorified sippy cups is what they are. So my dad just holding an open mug of coffee. You guys remember that, right? Every once in a while I'll ride down the road with that, and my kids will be like, Dad, how are you doing that? What are you doing? I'm like, it is mad skills, son. I'm telling you, I learned old school, you know, how to drink the coffee while you're driving. And uh, anyway, and I remember if you've never driven a stick, I mean, you've got to push the clutch in and you've got to let it out and take your foot off the brake because there's three pedals. You only have two feet and you have to take your foot off the brake and give it gas at the same time and catch it so it doesn't go down the hill. And the car is facing backwards come toward the street. So I'm a new driver and driving backwards right off the bat is not easy. And then trying to look for, make sure there's no kids walking on the sidewalk, trying to knowing that I'm pulling out into traffic at the same time, feathering the clutch. Well, that was more than can handle. And you can imagine what happened to my dad's coffee, right? You know, he's got the mug and, and all of a sudden I bucket and I don't do the clutch right and spills coffee all over him. I really don't know what he was thinking, but that was his problem, not mine. So <laughs> skills, skills. Whenever you do something new, there's always a learning curve and there's always, uh, it, it can always be a challenge and it can be messy. Well, there's a skill, if you will, and I'll, I'll, maybe it's more of a discipline or a habit, but it, it's something that God, that should be a part of our life as we follow Christ, and that is, I'm going to call it the skill of repentance this morning. As we start this series in the book of Judges, the book of Judges uh, outlines the story of how all of our lives are just an absolute mess apart from Jesus doing something amazing in them. And it's a story of, of cyclical nature, of people kind of falling into the depths of sin and, and experiencing the, 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 the consequences of that and the, the repercussions and God's firm hand of discipline and God sending them a hero, a, a, a deliverer, or a judge periodically, and they would kind of get their act right and they would kind of half-heartedly follow God and, and then that person would die off the scene and then they would plunge again and, and it's, it, they just kind of go up and down and up and down in their life. But there's one area, a skill that they really needed to learn that they really were not good at. 
And that was learning how to truly live a life of repentance before God. They needed to really learn what a healthy life of, of, of healthy repentance, recognizing that even though they were now the children of God, that they still had sin in their life that they needed to address. And it was an offensive to a God in heaven, and it was leading them into all kinds of problems. And they never got that squared away. It is impossible for you and me to grow in our relationship with God, to lead a life, honestly, of, of relative joy and peace as a follower of, of Jesus without this habit, without this regular discipline in our life of repentance. Because the pragmatic reality is, is once we trusted Jesus, we're not all of a sudden just you know, perfect. We are still sinners. We're, we're by nature. That's, that's who we are. God has rescued us out of sin and, and saved us from the consequences of sin, but we still have that nature inside of us. So let, before we uh, share, and before I share some of the principles with this, read with me, if you would, in chapter 2 uh, of Judges chapter 2. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bible. Look with me in verse 11 and following. The Bible says this, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals. Those are God, idols, false gods, if you will. This is a formula that we're going to see regularly, and the people did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. So they, they're up and they're down. They're up and they're down, kind of like watching the stock market. They're a little better, and then they do evil again in the eyes of God, and they fall into idolatry. Verse 12, and they abandoned the Lord. They abandoned Him. The God of their fathers, not just the great I am, the infinite one who is the Lord, but even the one who revealed himself to their, their parents, to, who committed himself to them. They, they abandoned him. The one in verse 12, it says, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. He had delivered them and already shown himself strong to them. And they, they left him and they went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. You remember from last week, God said, I'm going to give you this land, but here's the deal. You're going to be my kids, my children. You need to remove all the idolatry in that land. All of those people need to go away, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. Probably not this week, but later on as we go down that road. And they disobeyed God, and they fell into idolatry, and they provoked the Lord to anger, verse 12 says. They abandoned the Lord and they served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. Baal was the kind of the male god, the sun god of that time, kind of the highest god in all the pantheon. We probably are a little more familiar with like Greek gods and Roman gods. Well, these were kind of the, kind of the, the, the Canaanite gods, if you will. And he was the top dog. And then Ashtaroth, she was the kind of his consort, kind of the two were together. And, uh, and they bowed down and served both of them. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to the plunderers. These were the other peoples in the land, and they plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress." It's an incredible picture of what happens that even if we're God's children, when we fall into sin, God's hand becomes angry at us and he is against us and we fall into incredible, terrible distress. Now read, let's read a little bit more. And this is a summary really of the whole rest of the book. You can't really understand the rest of the book of Judges if you don't keep this in your mind. 
So verse 16 says, Then the Lord raised up judges, kind of heroes, deliverers are who they were, not so much sitting on a bench like a, we think of judges today, but they were a, a conquering kind of hero. And these judges saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. And yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods. They prostituted themselves after other gods, and they bowed down to them. And they soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. They left the way that they had known. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with that judge, and He saved them from the hand of the enemies all the days of the judge. And here's why God did that. The Lord, for the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. You and I know what it's like to groan when we're afflicted and when we're oppressed. And what we're hearing is, is sometimes that affliction and oppression is the natural consequences of you and I messing around and getting into sin. And God loves us even in the middle of that, much like a parent that says, yeah, I see what you've done and it's wrong. But I feel the pain of what you're experiencing. And so God would bring these judges into their lives to help deliver them. In verse 19, But whenever the judge died and they turned back, they were more and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. And they did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. You see, God, when they... God would deliver them, and then after that, they would kind of give up, and they would actually, rather than just go down a little bit, they would actually go worse. So rather than they would fall into sin, a judge would raise them to here, they'd go down a little bit, but they were still better. Then they would fall into sin, then they raise a judge. And so kind of like progressively over time, they would kind of go up and down, but still up. They actually did the opposite. They would fall down to a level, the judge would pull them up. The next time they'd fall a little lower, then the judge would pull them up, not quite so high, then they would fall even lower. They were spiraling downward, worse and worse and worse in their life. In verse 20, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he said, because this people has transgressed my covenant, my agreement, my binding relationship, that I have commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua." I want you and I to learn, not from our mistakes here, as much as to learn from the mistakes of those that have gone around us. We learn a lot more from our mistakes than we do our successes. Sometimes we just, things work out, and we don't know why they work out. <laughs> we kind of got lucky, right? But usually when things go bad, if we really are careful and are looking around, we kind of figure out why they went bad. And so you and I this morning need to learn from the, the heavy, serious mistakes of the people of Israel. Now, truth of the matter is, is you and I can probably, we don't have to look too far to see where we've blown this in our lives as well. The overall issue here is that the people of Israel 
didn't know how to truly live a life of repentance before holy God. They didn't know how to, for their relationship to be renewed. They didn't know how to deal with their regular sin that's going on in their life. So if you and I are to avoid this cyclical nature, if we're to avoid the heavy hand of God ultimately coming to our life and be remotely living a life that, that pleases and honors God and that experiences that and, and, and that lives out a life out of his holiness, we've got to understand what this whole point of repentance is about. Now, repentance by nature means that we go from doing one thing to doing something else. We go from what we realize is a bad idea saying, I'm changing my mind and I'm going to do something else. So for us, it means that you and I, we come to the conclusion that, God, I have sinned against you, that all the, the things that I've done, that's wrong, and I'm turning away from that and I'm turning toward you in salvation. So the first picture that I want you to get this morning or the first reason that we need to live our life of, of a life of ongoing repentance before God, it's not something we do one time. It's something that we need to have regularly as a habit of our life. And the first reason is because you and I are forgiven sinners. We're forgiven. When we trust Jesus as Lord of our life, but we're still sinners in our heart. And there's a tension in the middle of that. If you focus on one side without the other, you end up really in error and making a mess of your life. See, we need to realize that when we surrender our life to Jesus, that he saves us from the consequences of our sin. And he, he saves us, he forgives us, and he, he puts his righteousness over us. It's like we're filthy, dirty, and he just takes his pure robe of, of light and white and he covers all of the junk in our life and our heart and our past and forgives us of all the stuff we've ever done, that we are doing, that we will ever do in the future, and we are completely forgiven before Him, and He makes us His child. And it's done. We don't have to do anything in our life to keep that, that salvation, to, to earn that salvation, and to any of that. It's something that He does entirely, and it's done. We stand forgiven. But there's also a reality that even though he makes us his child, that we're still sinners in our heart. We're still there. You see, God, God had this people that he had brought to himself, that he had chosen for himself, and he made them his kids. But they were still sinners. They were his people, but they were sinful people. And they, they lived in that world, and they didn't know how to, to move from just accepting that they were God's kids to actually being God's kids who still mess up and who still disobey and, and, and have that sin in their life. So you and I need to realize that even though we trust Jesus, that we still got to address that stuff in our heart. Now, if you live completely just focusing on your sin and you forget that you're forgiven, you're going to wallow around. And, and you're going to be without hope in the middle of that. And you're going to forget that God has already saved you. And you're going to live in a life without grace and without forgiveness. And you're going to live in a life of, of guilt and shame. And so you've got to have those two things together. So repentance, though, is something that when we first truly repent is when we surrender our life to Jesus Jesus came preaching a message of turning away from your sin, that idea of repentance. 
He came and said, repent and believe the gospel. Turn away from your past. Turn away from your sins. Turn away from your choices. Turn away from your hatred and your lust and your jealousy, your greed and your selfishness. Turn away from all of that and turn toward me and trust me for salvation. A number of years ago, my, uh, I was visiting my parents, my family, actually, and we were down in Florida. They live in Pensacola, uh, not terribly far from the, the ocean, and they had a sailboat at the time, a, a big one. I don't know how big, 20-whatever feet. It was one that you can't pull behind the regular truck. Like, you have to leave it in the water. And I don't remember why. Looking back, I'm like, I wonder what my wife was doing, probably with all the little kids at home. And I was kind of a, probably a jerk going out on the sailboat with my dad. So I don't know. Maybe the ladies were shopping the kids. I don't know. But it was my dad and I went out on the sailboat, and we were coming back into the, to the dock and was going to moor it. And... And we noticed this other boat that was kind of, was drifting and wasn't too far from shore. I mean, literally like 100 yards or whatever. And, and this is a, kind of a marina. There's a lot of people around, a lot of docks and boats. And there was smoke coming up from the boat. Fires are always dangerous, but fires on the boat are extra dangerous. You know, there's fuel there and there's not a lot of room to, you know, I mean, it's like you got to go overboard. And all of a sudden we see this one guy jump in the water. Like, he came to the conclusion that it was safer for him to go into the water without a life jacket than it was to stay on the boat. And it was one of those situations that you kind of look at and you're kind of, is this really happening? You know, we, we watch the news and after we see a disaster happen, we see it. But when disasters are beginning to happen, nobody knows what's going on. It kind of takes a while to realize, whoa, this is an emergency. And it was kind of one of those moments. Everybody's just watching, drinking their their soda or whatever and just watching the show and and we realized like this guy's in danger he doesn't have a life jacket on and looked like he was kind of struggling to swim and and we realized no way was doing anything so we took our boat and went over to grab him i took the boat hook and put it out to him and he was so exhausted he could barely hold on to the ladder by the time he got up to the boat i mean he was literally about to drown what our salvation is is just like that we're on that boat, and we realize eventually that, wow, I thought this life was a pretty good idea, but my life is on fire. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to go down because of the choices that I have made, and it's going to be the death of me. And we realize that we need something or someone else to save us. And God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us, and he motors his boat over our way, and he extends salvation to us. And we trust him and we receive that, that free gift. Repentance is deciding to leave our past behind and to leave what we thought was good and to say, that was a bad idea. I'm going to trust God to save me and forgive me. That happens when we, the moment we trust Christ and we become his child. But after that, our life is to be lived out in repentance. In other words, when you first believe in Jesus and surrender your life to him and trust him, you don't say, oh, I had faith once. I'm good to go. You know, it's not like getting a shot. Did you get, you know, did you get the measles shot? You know, are you vaccinated? It's not like a one-time thing. You don't have to ever have faith again. Repentance is the same thing. It's not that, well, I repented once and, and trusted Jesus, but I don't need to do that anymore. It's something that, that we must continue to lean in toward because, guys, here's the deal. God can't stand our sin, just as we read here a minute ago. And he doesn't just save us from the consequences of sin. He saves us out of the sin as well. 
He doesn't just save us from the, the, the ship that's on fire. He doesn't just save us out of the ultimate death and, and hell and separation from God that we've earned. But he says, I'm going to pull you out of even the, the junk today. And I want to change your life. And I want to make you more and more like me godly and holy, and I want you to experience the way life was really meant to be, and I want to change you that. So the first reason you and I need to live a life of this regularly recognizing our sins before God and saying, God, thank you that you saved me, but God, I realize that I got a little something going on. God, forgive me. Help change that area. Is because we are his kids, and we're forgiven, but we're still sinners. Second reason you and I need to live that life of, of repentance, regularly turning to God and saying, God, forgive me and help change me. We're forgiven sinners. And the second thing is, is we, we need our relationship renewed with God. We need it renewed. See, if you notice in those verses, God was angry at the people. Angry. I mean, God's the last person on this planet you and I need to make mad. Can we all agree with that? I mean, there's a lot of people that I don't, I truthfully don't want to make anybody mad. There's some that I, doesn't bother me too much if they get mad. Then there's others that really do, you know. But God, I really don't want to get mad because he knows everything. He can do anything he wants to. Like, you're, you're toast. Like, you just, <laughs> he gets mad at you. You're, if he really wants to, like, you're a goner, you know. And if it were not for his love and holiness and justice and all of that, we, we, we would be. So, but our relationship with God, it, it's not what it should be when you and I get into sin. God, in fact, in this passage, actively works against the people. It's not that he just even leaves them to them. It's not that, you see, they would fall into sin and they'd start worshiping these other idols. And then those very people that they were kind of aligning themselves to would, would enslave them and would oppress them and would plunder them, would steal their goods, if you will. And it's not just that that was happening as a consequence. God himself was actively working against their life. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm going to work, it's hard enough time working at, with regular stuff. I don't want God working against me when I'm at work. I don't want God working against me in my marriage. I don't want God working against me in my, with my kids. I don't want God working against me in anything in my life. I want God on the other side. I want to be in alignment with God so that God is, I'm receiving favor. So even though they were God's children, their relationship with God was strained. Now, I want to be really clear here that God's, our relationship with God needs to be renewed, not our salvation. Our salvation, once we receive Christ, it's a done deal. It's done. God has made a one-time decision, and he saves us out of that sin, and he gives us his name, and it's done. It cannot be undone. So when we sin, it's not that we lose that salvation, and it's not that, that, that God forgets or somehow breaks his covenant. We're still his kids, but what happens is, is our relationship is strained. So we need our relationship renewed. It's... It, it's See, our salvation is not like, a coat, it's not like when you look at your garage and you're like, oh, I've got to put another coat of paint on our garage, on my garage. It's done. God's given you all the salvation that you need or will ever need. 
But our relationship does need renewal. And when you and I say, thank you, God, that you saved me, and then we go and just live our life without this habit, without this awareness, then what happens is, is God begins looking at us like, what are you doing? I had so much more for you. And, and it's just like when you get into a fight or an argument or have a, something going on between somebody that you care about or love or close to, there's, a, there's this thing in the middle. There becomes this thing in the middle between you and God. It's why God challenges us men that we need to make sure that we're dealing with our sin because God doesn't answer our prayers. We, in fact, actually he says that for all of us, that God doesn't hear our prayers when we're giving place to sin in our life because that relationship is strained. Are we forgiven? Yes. Are we in a place where God is answering our prayers? No, because probably even part of our prayers are, at that point, are out of whack because our whole life is a mess. But as men, he tells us that we need to make sure we're living in right relationship with our wives because even that disobedience means that, that God will not answer our prayer specifically and work in our lives. So when we live this life of repentance, of just getting before God, reading His Word, whether it's at church, whether we're driving down the road, whether we're reading the Bible on our own or praying, and God has freedom in our heart to convict us and we become aware of those sins, those are the moments that we need to deal with that stuff and say, God, forgive me. And we need to walk away and say, God, help me. I don't want to do that anymore. And we should expect that. If you grew up in a home where you weren't held accountable for your actions very well, this may be new to you. If you grew up in a world where you didn't hear no or didn't receive correction or hear that, it may be a more of a skill and a challenge for you to walk into that world. And, and it may be difficult for us to realize that God loves us enough to hold us accountable. Those two things are not diametrically opposed. God cares about us, and because of it, He comes to us. And he says, I've got so much more for you. And you and I should ex expect that. And see, what happens when we live this life of repentance is rather than this downward spiral like they were doing, God means it to be an upward spiral in our life. There's sins that went before you and I really trust Christ that we didn't know were bad. We're just, we're unaware. We're not attuned. We're not, we're not sensitized to it. And what happens is, is the rest of our life, God just more and more chips away at that and more and more shapes us into his image, conforms us into to his reality. And we shouldn't be discouraged about that. Sometimes people say, well, I don't like going to church because I always feel bad or, you know, feel like to sin and, and all of that. And, you know, I, I want us to think about our sin nature like this. Some of you I, have, have gluten intolerances in our congregation. I'm Glad that's why we try to do the gluten-free, you know, Lord's Supper. But I've never met anybody yet who is diagnosed with celiac that took what they ate just very nonchalantly. <laughs> like, they are on it. I mean, no gluten, no grains, like, on it. Would they rather not have that and live the rest of their life without it? Absolutely. All day long. But they know their life will be a mess if they don't focus and take care of that. That's the way you and I need to, and they're, and they're not walking around with their face dejected and, you know, just, just falling apart. I'm sure it's a challenge that, that you guys who have that just, uh, that I know not of, 
But the picture is this. You and I have this sin disease in our heart. We can't ignore it. We shouldn't fixate it and make our whole life about that any more than anybody who has to be careful with gluten because our life is so much more than that. But we can't treat it nonchalantly. And we have to, in our life, recognize that God loves us and he wants to progressively deal with this. It's an act of his love and it's an act of grace. It's not an act of shame. It's not an act of abuse. In fact, it's the opposite. God's trying to clean all of that out of our lives and it's just the natural way as we live as Christians. It's, it's what he expects because it's dealing with the reality that we have of that sin disease. So it renews our relationship with God. If we don't live a life of repentance, this is the third thing I want you to recognize, then we... We get more stuck. You go from bad to worse. Sin always progresses in our life. It never maintains. Never. It's corrosive. We've talked about that the last couple of weeks. It always grows and infects and gets worse and worse, whether it be a cancer or a rust. It just it always spreads and makes things worse. You see, we looked last week. The Jews, there was a generation who did not see and know the works of God before them. And, and they, they disobeyed God. They didn't remove the idols. So they go from just a basic act of disobedience to then they didn't really know or see God working in their life to where they didn't even worse, they didn't even know God, to now the next step down is they're in full-blown idolatry. Their disobedience spiraled downwards. When you and I don't live a life of repentance, in other words, when we aren't dealing with the stuff in our life and going to God saying, God, I know I'm forgiven this sin, but on this basis, would you just clean that spot up, please? When we don't do that regularly in our life, then we accept that disobedience and it begins to spiral. And before you know it, we're in full-blown idolatry. That's, that's, by the way, that natural progression is how we fall into addictions and of all kinds and shapes and sizes. Some are illegal, some, some addictions have social stigmas attached to them, but there's a lot of addictions that don't. But we, we fall into those, those things, those, those issues of our life. I, one summer I worked for uh, the state of Maine, their version of our Department of Environmental Conservation here in New York, it's DEC. And, uh, but I was in Maine and I was, uh, my job was to get up before sunrise every day and drive to a blueberry field or an airport or various places, and I was doing a bird census. I was to basically walk out into the spot and to record all the different species of birds that I could hear. I really am a nature nerd, much more than you even realize, uh, even though most of you probably know that at this point. And so that was my job. And so I, they, they issued me a, a truck for the state, so I got to drive around with a little uh, Chevy S10 green, you know, olive green with a little logo on the side, you know, and that kind of thing. And uh, I found out that I really needed a four-wheel drive truck because fields tend to be in back off the road places. So I went down in this field and, and off the road probably half a mile on this, this you know, farmer tractor trail or whatever. And I uh, went down in this little spot and I'm looking at it and I kind of, I think I can get through that. I think I can do that. Don't you guys laugh at me because you've done the exact same thing I did. And I got down into that and nope, I couldn't get out of it. I got stuck in the mud. And uh, I got out and I'm like, oh, I can't believe this happened. And keep in mind, this was before cell phones, all right? So I just, you know, I couldn't go call anybody and I'm half a mile from nowhere. I got to walk just to find, knock on somebody's door and hope somebody's home. And so I worked at it and I dug at it and put stuff in. And wouldn't you know, I managed to get it out. 
only to get it stuck even worse. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I am so not getting this one out. Like, okay, I give up. And I had to go, thankfully, the neighbor down the road had a big four-wheel drive and he yanked me out of there. That's what sin does. You and I, when we get into that, those problems, if we aren't repenting before God, there's always consequences to our sin. And we try to deal with those little consequences ourselves. What we don't realize is when we're trying to fix them ourselves, God's not truly fixing them in our heart. And we're just trying to get around and maneuver and make things work. And we end up getting even more stuck. Rather than just going to God and rather than justifying things, rather than making excuses, rather than just trying to clean it up, up, and just like, God, I have really messed up and I need your spiritual work in my hand because I am stuck. We go from bad to worse. That's what they did. They went from just baseline disobedience, spiraling down to where they were in full-blown idolatry. Not all disobedience is outright idolatry in our hearts, guys. But idols do have a pesky way of sneaking in. When we don't deal with those areas of disobedience, they always begin to take root and, and we begin those patterns and those sin habits and, and then ultimately they become an embedded idol that we've allowed into our heart, into our life. That's the fourth thing why we needed to repent. Idolatry just has a tendency to sneak into our soul. It creeps in. It, it, we, even people who love Jesus and who know this, like when you're not looking, it can just creep in. I'm amazed sometimes at how creative my sin nature is. Just like, how did, where did this come from? Like this wasn't there six months or a year ago. How, I know better. How in the world did this get in here? You know, it's kind of like your house or your, you know, you're like, how did this get so messy in here? I thought this was just clean. And you don't realize it was a month ago when you just last cleaned. And idolatry sneaks in. See, idols aren't something that just present themselves and nice and shiny that we just want to serve and follow. They, they creep into our lives. There's a subtle shift. An idol is whatever you shift your hopes toward, wherever your dreams go. Look at it this way. So the idols they were bowing down to were Baal and Ashtoreth. Baal was the top dog idol. He was the, the top god, the sun god. He was over the weather and the sun and all of that. So the Jews moved into this area and they felt like it was easier, more convenient. Maybe their brand of worship was better. Maybe they had better coffee in the morning. Maybe they had Starbucks instead of Dunkin' Donuts like we have. Or maybe their music was better. But whatever reason, they, they kind of like shift to that form of worship. And and they hit a, a time when there's, you know, a drought coming on and they need rain. So rather than their hope being in the one true God who ruled over the world, they say, well, these other guys are like bowing down like they're dealing with no rain too. They got problems in their life too and they're trying this way to solve it. Well, I'm going to bow down to that God because that God is the God of the weather. And they're writing podcasts or you know, they're watching, reading blogs and watching podcasts about how to do it. It's the same as us today, guys. You and I get the same troubles in our lives as other people around us. And if we start taking and putting our hope elsewhere outside of God, then we're shifting into an idolatrous world. We're shifting into that. 
It, idols in our lives become where our dreams lie. If our dreams all of a sudden shift, if our hope, if our security comes other than God, if our sense of okayness comes from someone else, if our identity comes from somewhere else. You see, our identity is in alignment with Jesus. And if all of a sudden we become what becomes more important to us and who we are is that area, that becomes an idol. And they, they fell into that. So when you and I lead a life of repentance, it's about you and I recognizing that we live in a sea of idols just like they did. And we're at risk of following all of the solutions of the people around us with the same problems. And we're highly at risk of that. Now, we're a little more sophisticated today. We'll, you know, studies show, you know, if you do this and that, then you'll be better off and healthy and at peace and all that. And, you know, God's like, guys, for thousands of years, I've told you how to deal with some of this stuff. And we we begin to play over here. And our heart of repentance says, God, I need you. I know that my heart is given, that there's two natures within me, that on one hand, I love you, want to serve you, and on the other hand, I allow this stuff to sneak in. And it's, a, it's an attitude of our life and our heart that we focus on and just keeping clean before God. And even inventory at times, just, God, would you clean me? clean me up. Fifth thing, and I'm done. The reason we need to live this life of constantly turning away and being vigilant about our own soul before God is that life of repentance recognizes God's grace that comes through Jesus. I want to end with the middle of this. Again, just like we started out, this is not us groveling around. We talk about sin a lot, and the reason is, is it's the disease we've all got, and it has made a disaster of our lives, and it will continue to eat away at our lives and God has given us the solution, the very focus of our whole life in Jesus. You see, when we read the book of Judges, something that we're going to see over and over and over again, every one of these judges was imperfect. In fact, some of them were an absolute disaster. In fact, some of us were talking earlier today about Samson. Just wouldn't, When you read the story of Samson, you just thought, God used that guy? Seriously? I mean, I'm reading Samson's life here just recently this week, and I'm thinking, I hope I get to meet him one day in heaven. I, I really don't. There's nothing in Scripture that really gives me a lot of confidence that he was absolutely a follower of, of God. It just, uh, I hope, probably, maybe. I don't know. I just know this. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, rely on that thin evidence, if you will. They were, the, the judges were a disaster, what God is showing us as we look at all the judges is there's one deliverer that we need who's absolutely infallible, completely reliable, and who will never die again and who stays with us. And his name is Jesus. And God forgives us of all of our life. You see, knowing that we are forgiven should draw us into that relationship with God where we have the courage to face where we messed up, not run away, but the courage to face that and to say, thank you, God, that I have a relationship with you, not based on what I do, but based on what Jesus did in that grace. That's a life of repentance. That's the attitude and the heart, guys, that we should carry around, that we should live 24-7 when we're at home, when we're at play, when we're driving down the road. We live that kind of life 
We avoid the yo-yo Christianity, the binge and curb, and the, the seesaw, the back and forth. Yeah, we'll still deal with sin because what God is actually doing is rather than drilling down, you know, we're, with us just becoming worse sinners, He's actually cleaning us up and we're becoming more sensitive to it. And He's making us more like His image. And in that, He gets glory. The world is blessed and changed because you and I represent Him better. And in that, you and I experience the joy and the peace and the life and the hope and the future because life is just so much better with Him. So I want to challenge you. I don't know where you are, how often you focus, and God convicts you of stuff. I don't know if you're running right now from anything specific, but I want to challenge you that whatever God is kind of out of this passage is kind of jumped off the pages into your mind and into your heart, focus on that. Do you need to take time and make a commitment to yourself today as our team comes up to lead us in our response song? Do you need to make a promise to yourself today to say, before the sun goes down tonight or before I lay my head on the pillow, I'm going to get alone with God. I'm going I'm to allow Him to take some inventory of my life. Maybe turn to a, a passage in the Gospels and read about Jesus. Maybe turn to the Psalms. Just ask God, would you speak to me? Maybe there's something specifically that you know that you've allowed in your place and you've seen the disobedience, but you don't realize how far you've spun down into idolatry. Would you ask God, kind of what David did, search me and know my heart. Try me. God, would you peek into the window of my soul and reveal to me what you need to? Maybe God has challenged you with something else this morning. Respond to him today. Respond to him. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for Jesus, that he loves us and forgives us. Father, help us to have a healthy attitude of repentance, not discouraged and downbeaten, but actually encouraged because you love us and you forgive us. And it's our sins are a done deal. Whenever we sense the, the guilt, whenever we feel that, Lord, at the same time, we know we're already forgiven. Thank you for that promise that we rely on. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.